And I greet all of you in Jesus' name. Thank you. This has been such a, a great time of refreshment. Every service, every singer, every minister, it seems like I have felt the thrill and the throb of the Holy Ghost all the way through. I enjoy the, uh, the uh, mood that's on the ministry here at this time. Appreciate the way it started out with Brother Mead preaching so pointedly, effectively. Such a challenge. And I was so blessed to hear my good friend Brother Mefford with a skill of a surgeon. First he diagnosed the problem and went right to it. Just praise the Lord. Good to hear that note again. We were raised in the same school. Praise the Lord. And I'm glad he's got it down pat. If you don't believe it, you talk to anybody, come out of his church. They'll preach oneness to you all day long. Praise God. Wasn't that great? It really was. Thank God. And of course, Brother Dude Cavanagh did it again. I don't know. He gets on base every time he gets up. Loses the ball. And uh, I certainly appreciate yesterday afternoon those sharp, saber-like thrusts. They gave us a lot to think about, Elder, for a long time to come. And I certainly appreciate that rich, rich ministry of Brother Dunnigan. God bless you. And then last night, really, I, I listened to all this, the gifted ministries that are here, and uh, that brother last night, he preached it. I kept watching his brow, and there was no beads of perspiration streaming down it like that. If I tried that, I'd be carried out of here with X's in my eyes. Really? It's all I can do to climb these stairs and stand up here. Besides that, I'm all sweaty in my palms and nervous and whim-whams. And, and I can't tell you anything else. These brethren have preached all my points. So let me just give you a summarization of this. I don't know what else to do. But uh, I've stood with all you brethren. You just have to stand with me. If not, well, that's all right. I, I told the Lord whatever it takes, I'd go on, you know. Let me just preach to you a little while tonight, uh, this evening here. While you're standing, I want to read from the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis. Praise the Lord. We'll <clears throat> try to make some application on the... Uh, on the scripture I'm going to read. I bring you nothing new or novel. It's merely God's rich word. Now what do you expect in a Bible study? 
Do you want me to talk to you? Or do you want me to scream at you? What do you want? Want me to preach to you, to you or to teach this? What shall I do? No, I just want to hear your opinion. I'm going to do what I want to do. I just want to. <laughs> you know, whatever you say, I can change my mind. I'm just going to do it the way I want to. <laughs> well, all right. Thank you. I know I'd get some help from <laughs> Elder Cavanaugh. <Kavanaugh. laughs> Let me begin here with uh, the 10th verse the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis. I uh, want to read down to and including verse 19. I think we'll stop there, yes. Well, let's stop. Maybe I'll read it. I'll read on. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first and Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to... I want to bring to you this little thought from this reading today. Let me entitle this lesson, A Man and His Dream. Let me talk to you about a dream today. First, I want to say nothing is ever done in this world. Nothing. 
unless there's first a dream. Everything is hinged and pivots upon that, that point right there. Way back in the distant eons, before there was a world here, somewhere in eternity, God had a dream. And his, his dream, even though we uh, pick up a few little portions of Scripture that relate to the tragedy in heaven, when Lucifer, he rebelled and angels joined his side, that did not diminish the dream that God had. And whatever went on on this earth before mankind got here, we find evidences and testimonials of it in flora and in fauna, in geology. You see it everywhere. There's some evidences that there has been some existence of some type of creatures, animals, and so on. But when God put man here, perhaps Satan at one time, he who is called the prince of the power of the air, had dominion here. And yet I know that when man was tempted and listened to the subtle voice, of the enemy and threw away his dream in the dream Eden that he lived in. He woke up with a shudder and a shock to realize that everything had vanished. His hopes, his peace, all was gone when he woke up with such an, a, a sinful state. Then I want to mention God then shared a dream with our mother, who is Eve, and just gave her a brief, bare semblance of an outline and said, let me tell you about a dream I have. That uh, the son that you're going to have, you'll bear a son. But let me talk about this seed that you will have down the line. Now that serpent is going to bruise his heel, but the heel of your seed is going to be put upon the head of that serpent. That's all I'll tell you about my dream. God was looking for someone to share this with. He found one man in the early history of the world. Matter of fact, he enjoyed the companionship of Enoch so well that he said, I tell you what, I want to just give you a little brief bare outline of a dream that I had. And said, to tell this, I'm going to have to make you the first prophet in the world. And I know that he must have enjoyed the dream. I turned to the book of Jude and I see where... Enoch prophesied of coming judgment against sin and hell's encroachments upon this world. And I wish that God would have let him linger some longer for he could have told about the walk and the talk that he had with our loving God. But God took him home. Time came and, and then it went. People born and people died and then eventually 
because of the uh, of the sin God had to uh, bring about a flood and in that time of the deluge why a world was was washed away perished eight souls were saved by water and in that little ark just afloat upon all those swirling churning foaming waters there was one man in there who had preached a hundred years without success had his family and he had one thing yet afresh in his heart and in his mind God gave him a dream he believed it enough to act upon it and then he built the boat as God had designated pitched it within and out God stirred the animals up until they all came and marched in there. Doors were closed. And he saw that his dream came to pass. God told him what to do. All right. Now, his sons, he had Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now, it is a fact that when they lived so long in those days, here was one of one of Noah's children, Shem, he lived uh, long enough to come up into the time of Abraham, and they were contemporaries for 30 years. In those days, the Tower of Babel was still big news. When men decided to go it alone and forget God, and then they decided they wanted to build a tower and worship the sun, the moon, the stars, and the host of heaven, and everything has to do with astrology and hell and damnation. And that's the witchcraft that's coming in our land today. And God will not share his glory with anyone else. Nobody. Then we find that God looked at this one man living in a pagan town in Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, and he tells him, I want you up, though you are a prince in your own right, and your feet, they walk on your uh, marbled floors. You have hundreds of servants to do your bidding, answer to your beck and your call. But I want you to leave all that and follow me. Abraham had to have something in him to make him leave his family, his friends, his comfort, and walk out into that desert. And they tell me if there's any desolate-looking area in the world, go to Palestine, even yet. All right, we find that God gave him a dream. And because of his consecration and dedication, God begins to unfold more and more of that. You've got to understand, friends, it is not given all at once. But it is line upon line, and it is line upon line it is here a little and there a little and here a little and there a little and little by little God unfolds to those <coughs> who seek his will and and uh, love him enough to keep covenant and vow with him we find that God will begin to tell his heart he cannot tell all that he wants to tell to any Trinitarian he cannot do that to somebody who even picks up our Bible as a sinner he can't do that you have got to learn how to walk with God before he shares more and more with you. Nobody ever got all this at once. It came just a little and a little and a little and a little. Praise the Lord. We have seen a development of doctrine in our day. 
And uh, believe me, we are adding to it. I look at the ministers as they preach now, and I marvel how gifted, how gracious, how, how beautiful, how they put it all together. And uh, it, it is, I've never heard you preach better, brethren. I certainly appreciate it. God is revealing more, but remember unto whom much is given, much shall be required. Praise the Lord. Abraham, he had a son. And of course you know the story. But God had promised him this child, and in so doing, he makes a covenant with him. He digs a ditch as the custom was in those days, and severs his animal. He, he houses it, he quarters it, he uh, puts his uh, wood to it, he lights the fire, and in the midst of all of that, the custom was in, in yonder time, one covenant maker stood on one side and the, of the offering, and the other covenant man stood on the other. And uh, while, while Abraham was making a covenant with Almighty God, Cobb stood on the other side. Praise the Lord and told him, I'll make a promise to you. He promised him what he would give him and what he would do for him. And then he enters into a blood covenant with him. You understand that uh, when men made that blood covenant, they, uh, they uh, would uh, cut their veins, maybe with reeds and uh, straw-like things, they would suck the blood and put it into some container. Uh, oftentimes they would just rub their bloody wrists together or they would take the blood and put it in a container and put beer in it, uh, wine in it, water in it, milk in it, whatever they chose to and then some, uh, the one would drink half and the other would drink the other. That made them covenant brothers closer than any kin on earth. This man that whatever the one asked of the other, he could not be denied. And so when God told Abraham to offer his son, there was no way he could back out of his covenant. And when God saw that he went all the way to keep that covenant, praise the Lord, he said, now I know. God knows what you'll do. He knows the end from the beginning. He made a man here just like somebody made this instrument. But it's one thing to make it and it's another thing to see it operate experimentally and when God saw this man who had a will of his own surrender that will to the will of God then God said now I know I have got me a covenant companion that will give me anything I require of him praise the Lord I want to say this to you do not feel do not feel so down when the devil comes and begins to throw up your many imperfections. I have had the enemy lately point out things in, in my life in the warp and woof of my character of my ministry. I have I have tried and I have tried to reach people. You say, well, I don't like your personality or I don't like your loneliness. I am a loner. I walk by myself. I can live near you and never see you hardly. But I have had the enemy point out so many things to me and uh, then I look at the Bible when it says be ye holy as I am holy be ye perfect said God Almighty and I said God I'm not perfect I have so many defects that I I despise myself the Catholic comes out in me I could be so contrite I could I could uh, abase myself and abuse myself even in a way if that would please God but that's not what he wants. Of all my friends, I'm willing to take you as you are. 
regardless of who you are and what you do and how you preach or how you sing, I see in you that which I admire, and for that I worship my God because He made you what you are. I will fellowship you and love you. I do not expect you to be like me. I pray you will never be like me. How then can we be perfect? The only way that we can be perfect is when we make a perfect covenant with God. You have got to have a perfect revelation. You have got to have a perfect understanding of this book. You have got to say a perfect I will to God. You may fall flat on your face down the road trying to keep covenant, but the decision you made and the, the attitude that you have when you took him by the hand and said, I don't know where this road is going to take me, but God, I've entered into a covenant with you. Praise God. That covenant was handed down from generation to generation. And everybody that gets baptized in water in Jesus' name has renewed that covenant with our lovely Lord. And this is what I want to tell you today. If you're going on with God, you have to have a dream. Let me also say that Abraham lived 175 years. And of course, you know, he was roughly 100 years old when he had his child. We find then that Isaac, he was 60 years old when he has, he has the, uh, the uh, Jacob here. We find that uh, these uh, two boys, Esau and Jacob, I notice here that one's born first. Strange that God didn't put Jacob first. He could have done that. But he let Esau be first and Jacob second. And of course, the boy come out when he was born. He was born with a little nature about him, grasping, struggling in the womb. But when he come out, he had a hold of his brother's foot, heel, grasping. I mean, he was a conniver, a go-getter. Now also, let me bring this to your attention. 15 or 16 years, we find that Jacob and Esau lived as a contemporary with Abraham, as children. They looked at their grandfather and he told them many, many things. He had learned some things from Noah's son, who was on the, living on the other side and shared with him incidents, things relative to the past. Handed down those things, there being no papers, Praise the Lord, that would have been a wonderful day. And handed it right down to those children. And as they sat on the knee, uh, his knee, he would tell them about the Garden of Eden. Or tell them about uh, how, no, how Enoch walked with God and was taken away. Or how long they had to build that boat. Abraham heard that, told it, and it's given right down to the, these two boys. It meant nothing to one but it meant everything to another. Suddenly a gleam is born in his eye. He said, Grandpa, what's that mean? What's a birthright? Well, he said, a birthright means that you not only get all the, most of the property here, but a birthright means that every covenant and contract that God made with, with me, that's handed down to the one that's next in line for it. 
That means he'll have the favor and the blessing and the help and the power of God and all heaven behind him. It didn't mean anything to the boy that's out there looking for a prize rack, but that little old bean cooker, it meant everything to him. Praise the Lord. Then he, you know the story of the deception and how he went by crook and got it. And he got the birthright, but in so doing, he had to run away for his life. His brothers sold it out for just one little old mess of pottage, which after you eat it, it's just, it's gone and it's not worth it. And I'm here to tell you that there is no sin. There is no worldly involvement that ever satisfies nor is worth the flip of your finger. The first night, he runs on. Remember, this is a shepherd boy. He was used to hardihood. He had laid him down many times on the ground, but now his mother's coaching him. His father said, since you're going, I want to tell you where to go. Maybe this thing will die down in a while, but you've got to go and go to the land of my kindred. And they make him a little sack lunch. He's got his, his uh, great coat on, and he, he's got his best sandals on, got his little sack, and he's got his staff, and he starts walking. It's 440 miles from where they lived to Haran. You don't get there overnight. It's two or three nights suddenly until he sees a huge uh, hill before him, and it has all these rocks piled one upon another. And the Bible puts it very plainly. I want to read it here in verse number 11. Notice how it puts every word in this Bible means something. Now, when you get into certain portions of the Scripture, read it slow. And make sure that nothing escapes you. Now notice as he's running, darkness is coming on him and he's ascending this hill. And the rocks here are very unusual. Abraham had talked about it. He said, you know, there was a place where I and uh, my nephew Lot, we stood and we surveyed all the land. It was a place called Luz. And as we stood there, the rocks, they were so unusually formed that it looked like a stairway. And it does to this day. And so you'll notice this is the way. Stay right on that road and as you travel you'll finally keep going and this is how you get to Haran. He's given him all the little guideposts. So when you leave, you know, our land here, you'll have to cross into Mesopotamia and there you'll find relatives that I have. Go to them someday. And of course, here he is being coached on it. He watches the sunset, and quickly he goes and he prepares him his place for a lodging for a night. Let's read verse 11. And he lighted, note how it says, upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep strange that it never mentions the name of that place. It's just a certain, certain place. Now the, this is the original record here about the certain place. This is uh, in the land of Benjamin. And Mount Ephraim is just right close to it. Big tall mountain. And here is a man, the sun is setting, and he comes to a certain place. 
Everyone who is walking with God today, somewhere down the road, you must come up to a certain place. Everybody who goes with God has to have a certain place experience. As long as I live, I'll remember the certain place where God arrested my attention. The sun was setting upon the happiness in my life. But when I turned my weary feet into a, the aisle and dragged this trembling body of mine down to an altar and wrapped my frame around it and just sobbed and cried my heart out to God, as long as I live, I'll always remember that certain place. I'll always bless the people who prayed with me. I, I could see my wife's uncle now with that smile on his face. A man about that size, one of the founding fathers in the PAW. I'll never forget him as long as I live. When uh, I came to be baptized and he told me what it's going to take to be in, in, in that church. And he preached holiness and I thought... I thought I knew, knew holiness until I said unto him, and he preached and preached and preached some more to me. He's gone now, but I can close my eyes and see, I can see his, his face again as he sang and as he preached. I'll always thank God for that. You must have a certain place in your life. I am asking that God will help us reach that place where we can say, I, I have found a certain place. Not only that, but let me just say, we find that the teaching of the story is that Jacob left his father's house. He had to leave because of his own sin. And when he gets into a place where the sun was set, he comes to a certain place and he lays down on the ground. The rocks had hurt his feet. His legs were not used to such long travel. He's weary. It's taken two or three days to get this far. He's running, expecting his brother to be behind him any moment. He's trying to get a good pace ahead of him. And now he's weary, and he looks around, and the pale moon sails overhead. You can hear yonder the, the cry of the jackal. Maybe there is a rustle that frightens him. It could be a lion or a bear. He knows not. But here's one without the protection of family. And now he is, he's all alone. His, his older brother, is, his, his twin, is, is not there with all of his gifts for, for uh, killing animals. He's, he's out there with his slingshot and his staff. That's all he has. He's a shepherd boy. But his sins have brought him there. Let me also point out, there is a greater Jacob who one time left the father's house and he lighted upon a certain place. And way back in eternity, God had a certain place in mind. You know, you can talk what you want about this messed up world of ours, but with all the sin and all the shame and all the sorrow and all the problems, there's one thing about it. This world has to be the king of all worlds. Praise God. I don't know, they might have diamond sands and golden streams on other planets someplace if there be more. But I know only this world has a Calvary. Only this world had God come to. And of all the mountains and all the hills and upon this globe of ours, there's one place that means more to him than anywhere else. Praise God. He had Abraham sacrifice his child on that place. He had David buy a threshing floor on that place. 
And that's where the mosque of Omar is right now. And there's not enough Arabs in, in all the world or that ever lived could keep God from putting his temple back on that, that place right there. Praise God. There's one place dear to his heart. He came down to this old sin cursor and he looked at all the sin and the shame and degradation and sorrow, the wailing and the weeping, the ruined hopes and all God knows the sickness and the disease and the terror that existed in humankind. But God came here not with his own sin but with ours to bear on his shoulder. He came and he was abused. And remember our light affliction which is but for a moment. It'll bring to us joy if we just hold on till the morning. And we find that he was misunderstood. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They said, you, you've got a devil. Your bill's above. Or they said, we know you're just a carpenter's son. Or we know you. We know your brothers and sisters. Catholics don't like to hear that, but it's true anyhow. He had brothers and sisters. We know you, and uh, you're just a man, and, and on and on. People questioned him. He evidently somehow just seemed to them as another person. But I do want to say that he came, not with his sin, but he came to be a man of sorrow, misunderstood even by his, his own disciples. But every now and then, there was a disciple or two that saw something in his words and how they hung on to those words. And they tried to look into his eye and see who... Who was behind all that marvelous teaching? Certain place. Paul had his certain places. Paul, he had a place on Damascus where he met up with God. He had a place with Silas one time in a prison at Philippi where God came in a real way. It was Peter that had a certain place when he was fishing and duplicated it at the end of Christ's ministry. Again in jail when they had a cottage prayer meeting he was in another certain place. Cleopas walking down the road to Emmaus with his heart burning as a stranger spoke to him. He came to a certain place and Jesus broke bread. John found a certain place on the Isle of Patmos. You have got to have rich experiences with God or your dream will die. What holds you in this church? What made you what you are? If all it is is just the swing and the throb and the little beat and the cadence, if all it is is a syncopated motion of the whole thing, you haven't got enough yet. If you're going with God, you've got to have a dream. You've got to have a dream that was handed down to you and you've got to keep it alive and you've got to share it with somebody else. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. Let me talk to you about that dream a little bit. I don't know why people don't believe in dreams. But uh, I want to mention how closely God is, is talking to his children. This, uh, this one I talked about here, Jacob. Here is someone who's not gifted like that. I wouldn't doubt as he, as he was fleeing from his brother. I wouldn't doubt that, that maybe questions came to his mind. Questions have come to my mind since I've been saved. The devil told him, no doubt, you see now what you're in for? If you would have stayed, you could have shared that birthright. 
If you had stayed back yonder, I tell you what, you'd have been somebody. But now you'll get nothing. You'll probably be eaten alive before you get there. As a matter of fact, how can you go 440 miles? You all you have is a sack lunch. You're not even good at killing rabbits, hardly. You know, you miss them half the time. And yet this, this man was running for his life, trying to keep a dream alive. Well, all he had was just the knowledge of it that somebody had told him no experience fresh in his life. And so what I'm telling you has already been told you at this meeting, but I'm here to share it again with you simply because this is what I feel I must do. Now, in the uh, verse, it said here, as he came in this place, he, he then begins to, let me see. Yes, it says here, and he dreamed. He lay down to sleep, and he dreamed. He just took some of the rocks and put them there, these slabs, and he lay down and he, he began to watch the things of uh, the heavens above him. The stars were twinkling. He watched the movement of them. Now and then a shooting star. And now he's, he's alone at that night, all alone. Here is the silhouette of a stairway. He's looking at it before he closes his eyes and says, This is the only place. But the sun is set. I'll rise up early at dawn and I'll be gone. He closes his eyes with weariness and suddenly a dream appears. He sees now not that old blackened stairway thing, but a ladder reaching not from heaven to earth, but from earth to heaven. The angels weren't descending and ascending. They were ascending and descending. And he looked at that shining stairway beyond the star-studded skies and he saw the angels going up and down. And he, he is asleep as he lays here at the foot of the stairs trying to discern what does this mean. And suddenly as his eyes began to follow the place where it is in all this somber, weary, weary desert area where the base of the ladder is, he looks yonder in the heavens and he sees at the top, God Almighty is standing there and speaking to him in the dream. And he who was weary and fearful, he hears these words, here comes the covenant, as I have been with your fathers Abraham and Isaac, so will I be with you. Every promise I made unto them, I'm going to keep covenant with you. Don't have to worry about Esau. And you don't need to worry about lions and bears and jackals or anything else. Don't worry about the miles you have to travel. Because every promise that I made to them, I'm going to keep with you. He wakes with a start. And sure, he said, this is a dreadful place. He had come face to face with a revelation. If you'll look at your scripture again, you'll see in verse 13, and the Lord, the way that's written in uppercase letters, it stands, of course, for, for Jehovah. And behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, I am Jehovah Elohim. Well, I am really. I'm not only Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth, 
that's what Jesus is. But he said, I'm also Jehovah, that is the covenant-keeping God. So what I'm going to be to you, not only as a sustainer of life, but I am going to be your companion. And I'm going to be your covenant. I'm going to be your partner all through life. For everything that you ask of me, I'm ready to give to you. And here's one who got a revelation on that day. Can, can you say amen and thank God for that? All right. Then no, notice here what it said again. You know, I, uh, I wrote a little thought down. And uh, what, what this really turns out to be, here is a man when he wakes up in the morning. That old staircase was still there. And if it had a secret, it wouldn't tell him now. Whatever went on there before, but he don't matter that. He don't care anymore. Because born within his breast is a dream that never will die. He has met God and talked to God and knows God. One of the greatest tragedies that ever can happen in a human life, in an assembly or a movement of God, is for people not to have the old-fashioned revelation. Praise God. And you've got to get this or it'll die. It will die. Praise the Lord. I walked into Christ's temple at Indianapolis. And uh, I walked to the bookstore there a few years ago now. A lady was uh, selling books. I said, I want this one and this one, and I'll take some of the tracks. And uh, this is what we'll do. So would you uh, do your best to uh, see if you find anything that uh, Bishop... Uh, Hancock wrote, I'd like to share it, I'd like to read it. And she got all she could. I said, where's his chart? Haywood, pardon me. Uh, where's his chart? Well, I said, well, Bishop Haywood was a marvelous teacher. But she says, you know how it is. When a man dies, his dream dies. And if you don't believe it's died, go there. If you want sadness, go there. Because when I went there, the dream was almost gone then. But it's gone clear out now. It's so sad. And then I, I, see, I see this man so surprised with the revelation. He wakes up and he's got this vision. What did it teach him? It taught him this. It taught him that Jesus then, here was the bridge. He was the way to cross over. That's what he came for. I used to like to read that poem, The Bridge Builder. Story of an old man in the poem that began to build a bridge and somebody passed by and said, Old man, you're so old. What are you building this bridge for? You don't need to build this bridge. You're old. And uh, he said, well, I'm not building this bridge for me. But behind me, there'll be a young man coming, and I'm building this bridge for him. He may not know how to cross over. Jesus did not have to pray for himself. Did not have to suffer for himself. Did not have to get baptized for himself. Did not have to die for himself. Praise God. But he built the bridge for us. And that's what, I sh that's what I want to share with you now, that He did it for us. A lot of people 
said he's just a good teacher and just a fine example and everything else. But no, 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 no. He came here to build a ladder. He came here not only to build one, he came to be one. And every step he took put another rung on there. Every temptation that came his way. And 45, praise the Lord. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. What do you see? What do you really see in that ladder? Darkies used to sing it all the time. I'm climbing Jacob's ladder, ladder. Well, let me tell you what the ladder is. As you see it poised on earth, that's the sonship. And as you see it reaching up yonder in the heavens, that's deity. There never was anybody ever came to this earth just like him. Here is the only perfect, complete, completely dedicated will that ever existed in this world. All of us have learned to keep something to ourselves. Even Jacob in making a covenant with God said, If you'll give me this, then I'll do that. But no, no, no. It was said of Christ. Here it, it mentions in the Old Testament, related also in Hebrews, Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. That's what the Son said. And the Father had to say, I am well pleased. Now we find that when he said this, here then is, is the, the, the beautiful thought of a dream. I'm sure that men throughout the ages have pondered that. Pondered it all through the Old Testament. For 2,000 years since Jesus was here, the greatest thinkers that ever lived have tried to understand who Jesus is. Was he God or was he man? Was he part God and part man or more God and less man or more man and less God? Who is he? Nobody's, nobody's been able to come up with it apart from the Scripture. You'll find the greatest thinkers in the time of the sages whether they were Greeks or Romans, we'll find that they got down and began to grope into the unknown. Socrates and his disciple Plato and all the rest of them, this is what they had to do. They seemed like mere children in, in, in grade school or primer trying to understand something about God. Nobody knows that except they get the revelation. You wouldn't even know you were a man if God didn't tell you you were a man. 
But the Bible unfolds on each and every page more and more and more and more. Praise God. They had a custom the Jews did in the days of Christ, it being an arid land, of training the boughs on the fig trees downward and thus making a, a sort of, a, of an enclosure uh, to uh, find some escape from the heat. And uh, with all the big, broad uh, fig leaves about them, people would go in there and rest for a while or meditate and pray. And there was a clean-cut Jewish man praying and meditating there one day. He was talking to the Father. He was thinking about Jacob's ladder. And while he was thinking all about that ladder and I'm trying to understand it all, Praise God, something happened to him. And I'm reading that in John 1 and 45. Now, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and, and the prophets did write, <coughs> Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile Nathanael saith unto him whence knowest thou me Jesus answered and said unto him before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree I saw thee Nathanael answered and saith unto him Rabbi thou art the son of God thou art the king of Israel alright now notice this alright now, you'll find that Philip said, well, I'll tell you who he is. Philip always did have a hard time understanding the Godhead. He really did. Jesus said, you don't even know me, and I've been with you all this time. He started out that way. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus from Nazareth, he's the son of Joseph. He got that far. That's all. All right, now we find that Nathaniel, who also is called Bartholomew, he said, Rabbi, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. He went another step farther. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So you think you see it all now? I say, you, you just wait. Because I'm planning on giving you a revelation of who I really am. He's trying to understand that ladder, but the ladder was talking to him. The ladder was standing right before him. He said, well, wait a minute. I don't understand how you know me. He said, well, I saw you when you was under the fig tree. He said, you were praying to me. Son of man standing here, but he's in heaven at the same time. And one of these days, you're not just going to see me here, but look up the ladder, and I'm up there too. Praise God. And while you're walking along, I'll be that ladder every step on that ladder. You can follow that ladder through the tabernacle plan, and there's every article of furniture in there. The offering on the altar, the fire on the altar, and there's a priest that offers it all. And he's a cloud above it. Tabernacle tent. He's the ground it's sitting on and everything else. That's the God I'm talking to. Nothing without Him can be. 
He's got everything in his head. Let's get on back to Jacob here and leave Nathan to experience his revelation later on. And uh, we'll just let that go. But then Nathaniel, no, he, he, he wanted to learn about God, but he did not understand him as the Jehovah God. Praise the Lord. And this is the path that no vulture's eye has seen. And this is a path that no unclean thing can ever walk over. Everybody don't get to see this. And there's time, believe me, brethren, we ought not to cast this pearl before swine. This is too rich just to throw away. The reason I got in the church family, some old backslider got a track one time on, on, on the uh, oneness of God. He used to sing a, a little song years ago when I come in the church. Oh, Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Holy Ghost, all these three are one. And then the verses were to the tune of the royal telephone. After each line, they had a scripture. And I'm just a little old ignorant Trinity boy. I had no more to do but just look up the scripture after every line. Praise the Lord. And I saw that revelation as clear as a bell one day. Oh, yes. That's when I, that's when I came to a certain place. That's right. And when I, I had that in my mind, and I even went so far as to go down there to Charles Price's Bible School, Trinity Bible School, Assemblies of God, my wife's folks were that. And I stayed two days there, and pretty soon I got up and said, I don't belong here. No, sir, because I had something else in my heart. Couldn't find a oneness preacher. Didn't know anybody that baptized in Jesus' name. Tried to hunt one up for two years. But one day I found somebody that helped me out. Praise God, where I could... I could get on the rung of the ladder and begin to climb higher and higher with God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is what I want to bring to your attention. Every time you look at this, remember, there has to be some kind of a dream to exist. The prophets in the Old Testament kept the dream alive. It wasn't popular to tell a dream sometimes. They tried telling it before they went into captivity and during captivity. And they stoned them and hated them and sawed them up and no telling one all. But that didn't stop them from telling their dream. Believe me, if there's anything I do enjoy, it's to see somebody get up and, and preach this like they're the only one that ever heard it. Tell it again for the first time. Don't ever sit down there when you're, you've been in church for years and years, preacher or saint, and somebody begins to tell you the old, old story. I want you to relish every word of it. I want you to enjoy and savor every mouthful of it as it's brought to your attention because it'll be the salvation of your soul if you do. Whenever I see somebody get up that's learned how to put this scripture together and that scripture together and found out what, what's in Deuteronomy and what's over there, all oh, the jewels in Isaiah and go to Colossians and go here and yonder and put them all together. Oh, friend of mine, when I hear somebody get in that, how it thrills and blesses me. I'm having a church learn one of the scriptures. They've got to do it to make it. I'm ashamed of seeing a generation come that don't know what we're preaching about. In this charismatic day, you better get to that certain place and learn what it's all about. It meant something to them. Every Jewish maiden that was preparing to give birth to a baby, she dreamed of her offspring being the Messiah. When the feast time came around, every Jewish home set a chair at a place at their table and set the, uh, the plate there and the napkin there waiting for Elijah to come again. They knew he'd come someday 
And so they put that down there and said, this is what we were waiting for. We believe he's going to return. They lived with a dream. Shepherds, when they herded their flocks toward the well in a certain area, and they stood there and got them all watered, and then they sat there with their little old jug as they began to talk, and they began to tell of the dreams. They began to talk about the Red Sea exodus. They began to talk about the miracles that God gave them. And even though they had enemies encamped all about, and it was a time of struggle and, and toil and war, eking out a bare, meager existence here upon that, that infertile country, here then all that, that lived within their breast was a dream that they refused to let die. Even though they, they were surrounded sometimes and outnumbered many times, sometimes 200 to 1, as in the case here of, uh, let's say, when... Uh, it was uh, when they blew the trumpet with Gideon, that's right. Or maybe David, when he had all the enemy yonder and nobody wanted to stand up and men began to let their knees knock together and begin to turn and flee and not able to stand up again didn't bother one boy. God's always had somebody with a dream alive. And all he needed was a slingshot and a dream that his God was still on the throne to get the job done. That's all he needed. And that's all we're going to have to have to be the people God wants us to be in this last day. Praise God. Praise God. You could take all of Sennacherib's host, but if you've got a king that's humble enough to bow him down before God and read that enemy's letter back, back to God, said, I want to tell you, God, what he wrote about us. And not only talking about me, but he's talking about you in there, too. Well, God, I, I, I can't make it. And I don't know, you know, I'm kind of a peaceful man. And I don't know how to fight. I'm, I'm trying to be a reformer here, and I've torn down idle groves. And I love you because I want to have this Passover, and we had it. But there's, there's a few things I'm just not able to do by myself. But, oh, God, I'm doing all I can while I'm your king here to keep a dream going. God said, don't you worry about it anymore. He pushes a button. And an angel about ten feet tall stands up with a sword in his hand. God said, go fulfill that dream down there. Praise the Lord. That's all it takes. This dream was kept alive in fiery furnaces, in dens of lions, in Rome's Colosseum. Find it in Babylon's poor old wasted place. They sat down by a river. Somebody said, I can't sing. I can't do this. Maybe they couldn't. But they had a few boys and now they wouldn't let a dream die. Say, we won't eat king's meat. We won't bow down to that image. We won't do what you tell us to do. We're going to mind God anyhow. And if God don't want to stand up for us, the dream's right anyhow. When they heated the fire seven times and chucked them all in there, they walked around. The guys that threw them in, got, they got burnt to a crisp. You say, what happened? Those fellas went in there. There's a God inside of there saying, I'm keeping this dream going, boys. Praise the Lord. God's interested in this church more than you are. God's interested in this message more than we are. Better believe he is. Napoleon said one time, God is always, notice the always, God is always on the side of the biggest battalion. That's not true. 
God's on the side of the dreamer. History proves that. The Bible proves that. God's on the side of the dreamer. God's looking for somebody that still has a dream. Shame on these people that run to an altar and let the dream die in a few days. We have prayed our belly sore trying to get some people through to God that never really got anything from God. Oh, God, give us again. I appreciate the ministries we have today, and I'm not trying to look back to yesterday, but there's a few things they had back in the Depression years. They went on down there. People didn't hardly know how to preach. They just said, this is that. Whoop, we got it. And, brother, they fell in the aisles. They sure did. Prayed through everywhere. Oh, yes, I know they're trying to get 100 soul revivals, and you see, they're getting, sure, they're getting 100 people that count. Some that count two and three times, but they... They go ahead and do that anyway, and I'm not trying to say that I'm jealous of anyone else. I want everybody to be blessed. What am I preaching about? I'm preaching this. If you don't get some depth and get yourself a clear look at this dream, it'll fade in just a few days. You promised God at that altar what you'd give, what you'd do, and what you'd be. And if you can walk away and forget what manner of man you are after looking in the full face of this lovely dream, you haven't got deep enough yet. You sure haven't got deep enough yet. When it looked like England had to surrender, and they had those B-bombs going in there, and Hitler looked like he had enough momentum to crush him to the ground, they had those voted out parliamentarian. Looked like he had... He had already been buried through it all. They didn't know who else to get. Everything else was failing, so they got old Winnie and brought him back and said, we need some help. And that old bulldog, jowled face, he got up and said, they can bomb us if they want to. And they told us to surrender or we'll be bombed off the earth. He stood before all of his cabinet and everything else and he said I've got a dream that'll never die they can bomb every city we have but out of the rubble and out of the ashes England's London's gonna rise again said we'll fight them on the land we'll fight them on the sea we'll fight them on the beaches we'll fight them in the air but England will never surrender I don't know if you've ever read any of the Apocrypha. I don't know if you've ever read anything there or not. But there's an interesting book or two in there about the Maccabees. There's a lot I don't appreciate. I got a big old family Bible, you know. And they used to have in the family Bible, uh, years ago, those great big ones, they used to have the Apocrypha in there. And Judas Maccabee was one of the brothers who was a great, valiant warrior, 400 years without a prophet's dream. 400 years. All they had was some, some lay members trying to keep it going. My daddy told me how they used to preach it. My daddy told me about the last prophet he ever heard and how he went down. He was stoned, but this is what he said. Grandpa's grandpa's grandpa said this. But they hung on to it. 400 years went by without the voice of a prophet. But in the middle of all, there was, there was two brothers that made up their mind to tackle all the devils that came against Jerusalem. 
And they said, Jerusalem, we're not going to let it die. We're going to fight for what we have. And let me read to you from Judas Maccabee as he is speaking to his army. He gave them, Judas gave them his encouragement. He has the swords. He has spears. He has shields. And he writes thus, Thus, arming each one of them, not so much with a sure defense of shields and spears, as with the encouragement which hath in good words and relating to them a dream worthy to be believed, he made them all exceeding glad. He said, All I can give you, brethren, is not just a sword here and spears or a shield, but let me give you a dream. Men have been ready to lose battle and had to draw the line sometimes. It's in your history books. Back in the days of Hannibal, when it looked like the little routed army was ready to go down until one man said, Anybody that wants to go home, you can go home. I have nothing but deprivation, Sweat, tears, blood, maybe death to offer you. But if we win this, we have freedom and we conquer. If you want that, step across. And every man stepped across. They followed a dream. Without a dream, we do nothing. When Moses was just a child in Egypt, he looked there and growing up now, he's in the palace. Now and then he gets to see his mother. He goes back and she has plain old humble coarse garments. He has the silks and satins of the palace or the nice linen in the palace. His sandals are costly. He looks at her bare feet, calloused, worn, haggard. And suddenly Moses, he's getting bigger. He said, Mother, remember when I was little and you had nursed me and I came back and now and then he'd go back and see her he said tell me again about that that box they've got down there over there in Goshen tell me about that she said all right honey let's go and walked over there into the little square of their little town and they had a, a box they had embalmed him put him into a coffin in Egypt but there lay Joseph a royal prince of God. said, how come he's not buried, Mom? Well, you see, before we come here, God gave our father Abraham a dream and said, you're going to spend 400 years in Egypt, but don't worry, you're coming out a great nation. Don't you worry. Joseph preserved that dream and believed it, son, so much that he said, when this dream comes true, I want you just to tote me out of here with you. Don't you leave me here. Don't bother to bury me here. Because when you go, I'm going. Oh! It wasn't much of a chore to scoff at all the things of Egypt, all of its royal riches, its promised throne, Everything that it had to offer, that's nothing. 
When he began to think of a dream, oh, the first thing they did, when they got ready to go, Moses says, bring Joseph. You bring Joseph, he's going to be the first one to hit that water. We find, here they are. They had no priesthood then. Moses and Aaron, they're ready to get on out of there. They're trying to leave. They've got the blood on all they had was blood. That's all. All they did was cram a hat on their head and put shoes on their feet and get themselves all sprinkled with bloody meat. Now they're ready to get out of there and they've got fire on top of them. They've got a big wall, a mountain on this side, another one on that side, enemy behind them. I'm telling you what, they didn't have a waiting pool in front. They had a Red Sea in front. Praise the Lord. But when, when they got a hold of him, the most prized possession they had in Egypt, the most prized possession, it was simply was that little old black box with a little old shriveled money, mummy up there. Here he was, Joseph, and they began to walk out with him. And when the, they got that far, suddenly straight for the rod. And I'm telling you what, when that water saw the, saw the dream coming, it just stood up at attention. It sure enough did and let him get on by because the dream is the only thing that'll get you through. That's all. Nothing else is going to do it. I, 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 I appreciate that. You couldn't do nothing without a dream. Matter of fact, no marriage is going to work without a dream. And not only with a dream, you have to have a vow. I see these little children looking at problems. And have you ever, brother, don't anybody feel bad here. Have you ever seen a time when there were such mixed up minds? 1.7 marriages go on the rocks. That's less than one out of two. One out of 1.7 on the rock. I'm sorry to say that. We've seen it in homes and churches and our families. We've seen it everywhere. What are we going to do about it? Keep a dream alive. Get rid of all those old sorry suggestions you get from all the devil's people out there. Throw all your rotten literature away. Forget what Sister Annie has to say about it. Or the other one there. Forget what they don't know. Get all that vomit away from you and learn to have a dream of living for God. Put your home together. Put your heart together. It won't work without it. And the church has got a dream. At our altars, we've watched ragged people come in with messed up lives, ruined hopes, hearts so shredded by the devil, and we've watched them stand again straight and tall, transfigured with a shine on their face. Oh, God, I have to say, the dream comes true. Oh, it's preacher's payday, not because you give us tithes to live with, but when we see families that are all wrecked and back together again. And we see people who live wasted lives stand again and say, No more dope, no more booze, no more lust, no more sex, no more thievery, no more this, no more that, but I've got a dream. Praise God. Isn't that right? Well, I don't know what else to say. Only thing I want to say is, let me talk just for a couple minutes about my dream. I'm not a dreamer in the sense where God shows me visions and dreams and all that. But I'm a sentimental person. I'm a poetic type, I guess. And uh, I, I love to build things. 
and talk to God about them. But I do myself have a dream. I do. I have a dream that that the Church of God, that all the saints will one day learn to be saints. I have a dream that that brethren would learn to be brethren and learn what it is to forgive one another and pray one for another. I have a dream that that someday God's people re will rejoice at the good fortunes of another without envy or jealousy or bitterness. I have a dream. I have a dream that our churches will be so power-packed because we're done with sin. We're sinners will have a chance at our altars to have freedom and liberty to pray through to the Holy Ghost. In too many altars, the experiences are sickly because the church is sickly. I have a dream of people preaching with such effectiveness and Holy Ghost anointing that people will receive the Holy Ghost in their seats. Our sinners will be slain in an aisle. Do it again, Jesus. I have a dream we're all proud-hearted, bitter people who certainly suddenly fall in love with Jesus and the world will mean nothing and he will be their all and in all. I have a dream. I have a dream but we won't need gimmicks to try to put on the program and the work of God. I have a dream where we won't have to kill ourselves working our fingers to the bone but people will tithe and support and back a noble ministry before they wear themselves out long years ahead of time and their wives are, are prostrate with some sickness that pressure and weariness has brought on them. I have a dream of people pulling together for God. I have a dream when saints will suddenly want teaching and want to become mature in God and want strong meat. I have a dream that we won't follow after every flamboyant preacher with no doubt many gifts in his ministry, but is so shallow in his walk with God, trying to sacrifice what we have on pagan altars. I have a dream that you'll be so zealous and jealous for truth, you will leave at no cost, at no cost. I have a dream of people standing with their pastor in every kind of a trial and temptation, of suddenly realizing their importance and drawing their sword and says, I won't let the dream die. I have a dream that every pastor who's ever gone to a city and hewed a church out by himself out of a cold, rugged mountainside without effort or remuneration of any kind but put his livelihood therein, I have a dream that people will appreciate that and honor him the rest of his days and not begrudge whatever blessing God gives to him later on in life. It's a dream worthy to be believed. I have a dream that all of our young people will suddenly fall in love, not with the trends of the time, but with Jesus Christ, where they won't be looking for pool tables and ping-pong tables and games or asking to go to skating parties. I have a dream that 
they won't need the preacher preaching against their dress every day or their hose or their hair or the boys and their hairdos. I have a dream that we'll get convictions and love God enough to keep these little vows as a commitment and an expression of devotion to Him. I have a dream that the Holy Ghost will teach and bring all things to remembrance and we'll be thrilled to do it. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream that saints will stick in church. If mother quits, daddy will go on. If parents quit, the children will hang on. I have a dream of people suddenly, fully, completely falling in love with Jesus. I have a dream. I have a dream of my Lord returning someday to catch all the faithful children away and take them home. I believe in a rapture. I have a dream of making that. I have a dream of suddenly him putting up his throne and his kingdom reaching from sea to sea and all the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of our God and His Christ. I have a dream of ruling. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just worship God, saints. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand and raise our hands to the Lord now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I speak for the ministers when I say this. 
A lot of times I have looked at my own children. I have no regrets for anything that's ever happened in our life. I I know as far as the things we've done without, that's nothing, nothing. I uh, Sometimes we wish we could do more for our families. I look at the saints. It means so much to a preacher. I'm so glad every time I see them come in. I wish I could help them. I, I wish there were ways that I could think of expressing my appreciation better. We preachers won't be able to leave our families and our members all that we would like. We can't. But there's one thing we're going to leave with you. Everything else will vanish if it were other than this. We're going to leave a dream. If Christ tarries and the world goes like it is and there's no one left to preserve a dream, pray for this world. But while there's yet a church and there's a minister to hold it up with a desire to keep the dream and the vow alive, along with that covenant of God, we still have a dream. I have a dream. And if you think all I am doing is dreaming, I only ask one consideration. Let me dream on. God bless you.